I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Welcome back, everyone. Yep, Matt Dixon here once again, Purple Patch Fitness. This is the Purple Patch Podcast, and this is a special edition, the second part of our conversation with Jerry Rodriguez. As I mentioned in part one, we are skipping the jingle this week. There is no word of the week. We are not having questions from you guys, the listeners. We're going to put that all into next week's episode. We'll talk to a couple of questions next week. But this week, it is all about the conversation with Jerry Rodriguez. We spoke for a long time. We decided to dissect it into two parts. So this today, enjoy it. It is part two of my conversation on coaching with Jerry Rodriguez of Tower 26. So yes, meat and potatoes again. This is the second part of the discussion with Tower 26 founder, head coach, Jerry Rodriguez. Jerry, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's terrific uh, to be here. And, and thanks for the exposure to your, your audience. Much appreciated. Great stuff. And we're, we're going to dive right back into the questions. We're not going to spend any time. In part one, we explored your background, your essence as a coach. Uh, and we talked a lot about uh, athletic development, coaching development. We're going to shift gears into the second half. So I, I want to talk about a recent race. And, uh, you know, I like these discussions to be timeless. But I want to talk about performance in global and I talk about the, the progression of the sport. And uh, just a few weeks ago, we saw something that I think marked a, an evolution in the sport, which was Jan Frodeno running 106. In, uh, Unbelievable, huh? Uh, yeah, well, it was. And, you know, we, we were up, um, it was happening in South Africa. Uh, you're, you're based in LA, me in San Francisco. It was 2.30 in the morning. We were texting, I should say, and, uh, <laughs> and following. So I know you watched it live because uh, you and I were going back and forth a lot on this um, well, there's two, several things that happened. I mean, the, the first thing is it wasn't just the run split. It was the fact that they were swimming and riding hard. And one of my athletes was in there, Sam Appleton. I've seen the power file talking about metrics. There was plenty of hard riding going on in there. Um, on the women's side, there was Daniela Reef and what I saw as a, a wonderful performance from Lucy Childs. Incredible, yes. Incredible performance. What did you take away from that race as it pertains to the sport globally? Well, for me, a, a couple of things. Uh, that race or those performances by both male and female, and on the men's end in particular, you had um, the winner, um, Ferdano, running a 106. That's serious running, okay? It's 212 marathon pace. A 106 on the heels of riding 56 miles and swimming, 1.2 uh, kilometers, right? 1.2 miles. That's, that's in, in insanely fast. But the guy who got second, another Brit, one of your Brit friends, right? The Brownlee brothers yep. uh, that won the Olympic gold. 107, and then Javier Gomez, 108. These are fast, fast running times. These are incredible performances. And it tells you where the sport has gone and, and how the, the level of, of uh, high level of competitiveness now. But you have to look back and go, let's look at the progression of these athletes, which ties into what I think we were talking about earlier. Where did these athletes start? Small races, 
stepped up to Olympic distance racing, all three of them, mm-hmm. the three males and Daniela uh, also, so all four of them, a, a lot of time at, at the Olympic distance, so, sort of, uh, you know, putting in their their time there, then to the half Ironman distance, and, and then some of them now to the Ironman level, uh, at least with Gomez. So it's there's this sort of natural evolution and progression and uh, and then the, the the and then the years behind it a long platform of time these guys just didn't arrive three years ago four or five years ago they've been in the sport for quite a while i mean it's it comes back to our story of uh, or our discussion on longevity and athlete development there is no better case for that and and developing speed if these athletes just hopped in and started to optimize or aim to optimize ironman performance they could uh, or half ironman performances this is the case you just you just couldn't do it off of um without that sort of development i would argue at least um i I think so and i think that this is a a case study that's proving that i mean look at uh sam your athlete mm -hmm. and um ben canute uh, jim vance's athlete and so on these guys had tremendous runs they had terrific run splits, but it wasn't good enough in this race. They've got to grow. Uh, they've they've got, to got, grow. got to grow. And they've got a few more years to go, and they're both very, very young. These three gentlemen ahead of them have a little bit more runway and platform behind them. It, it, exactly, and they um, and that's the challenge. I mean, that's really the joy of sport. It's uh, far from being uh, from a coach, and and I can speak for Sam a little bit. But it's, it's exciting, you know. It's um, it's a path of what the future is. Sure it is. And it's no different in a business. I mean, you, you know, this thing about it, you know, I use the example earlier, the MBA, you know, you, you start with on day one with an exit strategy on year five. It's, you know what, in the perfect world, yes, but it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. I want to, you know, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because you, you see, uh, you see these athletes that, that begin to change the sport or, or really what we saw have changed the sport in many ways. So how do athletes now that are coming up, how do they evolve to be athletes what, like this? What, what, do you, what do you think the process is to go through? Well, I think you're probably better qualified than, than I am to, to answer that question in specifics. But, you know, whether you're an athlete, the, the, we are teaching triathlon to bike run. It, it's just a tool. It, it's a... It, it, it's a mechanism to teach all the virtues of life. Um, so the, the using sport, it happens to be the conduit uh, that I'm using swimming. And we also have biking and running, but in New York is purple patch, swim, bike and run, everything. That's just the conduit for a life in itself. And the beautiful thing of what you and I had as kids growing up and anyone who families that are listening to this, to have your kids in sport young is super helpful. It's a mini life mini life teaching of yeah. what real life's going to be like later on, you know, the journey of, of, of victories and defeats. And that doesn't mean firsts and lasts. Don't think of it in that black and white sense, but of, um, you know, shooting for the stars and falling a little bit or sometimes doing better than you expected. And the, the accountability to your coaches and, and respect of your, your elders or, or teachers and all the virtues that were ta- taught sport is a microcosm for that and we i think as coaches we are also the the stewards to help foster um, our athletes who are just people right they happen to be you know in the sport to help them evolve along the way they'll become greater athletes but also make them better people i believe that's just my personal 
philosophy. I, I agree, although I, 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 I fear for some of my athletes that I've helped because <laughs> 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 of my influence. But uh, <laughs> no, well, I agree. Uh, but to your point, I think one of the things you're very good at, uh, and, and, and I strive for it too, is we need to have, um, you know, this, uh, you know, full transparency, transparency and, and, and what I use is directness. And that's a, a societal thing, at least I could talk in Western society. And we tend to mask a lot of things or feelings or, or never quite be as direct as we need to be. Well, they're not kids. Yep. Okay. Kids, we handle perhaps a little more gently. But with adults, this is different. Uh, it needs to be direct. It needs to be kind, but it needs to be direct. It needs to be direct. And, uh, you know, I need to be fully transparent. A hundred percent. And in fact, even, you know, when, when I talk about coaching adults now, I, I started coaching kids. Uh, and your, your Michael Phelps story and I am by no stretch Michael Phelps. But when I got into coaching, there are the eight year olds, you know, and off I went. But, uh, so I started coaching kids and, and, a, uh, even from the emotional side, the, the interesting thing is when people close their eyes and think about coaching, they think about coaches yelling and shouting and motivating. But the vast majority of my adult athletes are highly motivated. In fact, you spend most of the time holding them back from yes. doing the, the wrong side of stuff. I always say, if you coach a swimming pool full of teenagers, they're going to be hiding under the lane lines if you turn your back. If you coach a bunch of adult triathletes they're going to be adding 3,000 yards and <laughs> it is, isn't that the truth and it's very 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 driven and it, yeah so so i think it's a it is a it, the, you know coming it's the the emotional guidance or practical guidance it's also just the, the way you treat them is really really different but final section great athletes uh you talk about development you talk about great athletes and we don't need to name names, uh, but you've had the opportunity to work across triathlon as well as obviously swimming with some great athletes. If you pull them together, can you extract some of the great, the common characteristics that you see of the best athletes? Boy, here you go again with these yeah. broad scope, you know, questions. Um, Remember, very, very successful athletes are no different than very, very successful. They are, they are successful people. They just happen to be athletes. Uh, they're successful in this realm. Uh, the successful CEO, the successful um, basketball coach or whatever it may be, the, the, the aspirations are the same. There's, a, there's a, 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 a quest to be very and a thirst to be very good at what you do. Yeah. That internal drive and flame that I believe is not teachable. It's one of the things if I always, when I get asked at times, do you prefer to coach an athlete that's talented or, or one that's not talented? And in black and white terms, I said, well, I'll take the not talented one if they have high drive. Exactly. But I don't want the talented one if they have low drive because I can't teach drive. Okay. But, but I can help foster the technical aspect of things and, and training protocols and so on. So, you know, they all have that common thing. You like to use the word North Star. They've got that big North Star out there. And um, and they are, um, they are 
you know, many of them, especially the high IQ ones, are, are stewards of their programming. They are true partners in in trying to help develop their success. And and that's what's something that you've actually done remarkably well. I think of names like Jesse Thomas, for instance, who, not that you've taken him from zero to hero, but Jesse Thomas was an athlete, uh, but he was a runner and a steeplechase athlete, I believe. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was steeplechase runner. But he came into the sport of triathlon not riding a bike or swimming. And you've developed him all the way through to winning a couple of Ironman races and, I mean, having a tremendous career. So, but that was a very, from my observation from the outside, I mean, I had a little bit of inside knowledge because Jesse spent some time with us, but that was a very collaborative relationship and mm-hmm. a very respectful one uh, with coach and athlete. So these are some of the common themes. And importantly, to, to the earlier point of the conversation, one coach. He's had one triathlon coach. So many of these very good athletes have stuck with their, their coaches. I, I can think of um, uh, Brent, the, the guy from Canada, that, with his, uh, his coach, um, Lance. Lance, yeah, I think yeah. I think 12 years or something like that. You know, it's, from, it's, from the beginning. It's fantastic. All the way through it, Olympic Games up to Ironman, yeah? Yes, tremendous. These are the things that, that many of the, that have in common. And then, of course, ones who coach hop. Their issues. There are a lot of hurdles and stumbles along the way. Now, part of that could be the quality of coaching. There could be a number of variables when there's coach hopping. But you, you ask for the common the common themes. Here are some of them. Yeah. No, I, th- I, I I couldn't agree more. And you know, we we could go down the list of characteristics of es- excellence, but it would be exactly the same as you mentioned for for CEO, for for great doctor, for great teacher, for great athlete, successful people. That's the fabric, but in, in an athletic sense, I think that's that's absolutely absolutely spot on. And and to the point of you've gotten this question asked at, at times, I'm sure, where athletes have come and said, you know, um, um, well, I guess I would get it more than you because uh, I am more of an indigenous sport coach. Where athletes would come and say, you know what, my my triathlon coach is just not working out so well with her or with him. And um, I've, I've been talking to, to Fred over here. What do you think about Fred? And I go, wait, wait, hold on one second. Why are you talking to Fred before you started talking to your triathlon coach? Are you married? Yes. Uh, if you're having a marital problem, do you start talking to the other girl uh, in, in the cubicle next to you before you start talking to your wife about the problem? Or do you just go to the other girl and start telling her your problems and then start having a date with her? No, you don't do it that way. You start with your wife first. You work on the problem. And then if it doesn't work and can't work, then you move on to the girl in the cubicle next door as, an, as a parallel. But it, it's done a little bit backwards at times, right? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I can, I can give you a real example of, of that in reverse where I think it's really healthy and a bit of adversity, and ironically, the adversity here is is somewhat successful. But I have a great coaching relationship with Sam Appleton, and uh, and this is just on top of mind because of the World Championships with the share. But I, I openly have talked about how Sam probably had the toughest year of his of his um, career so far this year in preparation and uh, going into the seventy point three World Championships. Uh, he didn't have the same luxury of just the really graceful, fluid, wonderful sort of energy and training performance and racing performance that he'd had in previous years. And that's a great example of an athlete where if you if you 
double down on each other as an athlete and coach relationship. You you get to the other side of it. You maximize the performance as you can, which I believe he did on the day. He absolutely maximized what he could do with the resources he had on the day. He had a tremendous race, yes. It, 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 yeah, and, and, and for me, sort of, he can be really proud of himself because he really did that and, and against some adversity that, that doesn't live on the, the front pages, of course. But uh, But afterwards then the conversation is, okay, you know, when we look back, that we didn't set that up well and something happened this year. And so we look at it and we say, where did I go wrong as the coach? Where did you go wrong as the athlete? Where did we go wrong? And, and when you have that conversation, there's no blame. There's, it's objective and, and you need a little bit of space after the, the event, after the season sort of thing. But when you have that, that is a growth opportunity. You've just, capsulize exactly what occurs in a relationship the, the athlete and the coach is the same in the relationship with with a spouse or a, a partner it's the same the intimacy level may be different but it's the same respect it's the same thoughtfulness all the pieces that come together to make if you truly want a relationship to grow you if there's a problem in a relationship matt it can't be a hundred percent of one person's fault because there are two people involved <laughs> So you've got to sit back and go, okay, if things didn't work out. What's my contribution to this? Or what was it? And what am I going to do to uh, make some changes? There you go. Applies in real life, moves it into the sporting world. It's the same. It's, it's people. And how, how, do you make, uh, how do you make the best of partnerships and relationships? Same thing with CEOs and, and, and their, their employees. Um, you know, people can think they're, they're this, this, able to just dispense them at ease, but Ultimately, still, you know, better relationships will help build a stronger company. It's a perfect time for our advertorial break. Hang on one second. Life counseling from Jerry Rodriguez. Email Jerry at tower26.com. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to the show. There you go. Welcome, welcome back, Jerry, after that. I'm not sure what ad they were playing, but uh, no, great. So, so last couple of questions before we go on to our Desert Island, uh, a new feature that we've had on the, the show for, uh, for yeah. a couple of pieces. So super simple ones, but, but I like this. What's your favorite, if you have one, what's your favorite go-to coaching saying? You know, I have one that we use and that you've probably heard over the years too, and I use it very frequently and write about it frequently. And, and, it's, um, and it, gets, it gets misquoted a lot because many of our athletes have said it. And uh, I use, the phrase that I use is um, becoming familiar with discomfort. We have to learn to become familiar with discomfort. And, and, and those are very carefully chosen words because, and, and it's been sort of misquoted as, um, uh, learning to like discomfort or whatever it may be, uh, learning to be good at it, or these types of things. But the thing is, and whatever that discomfort could be, discomfort a lot of times is a psychological barrier, okay? Not just physiological, psychological. We don't ever have to like it. In fact, we're going to be uncomfortable with it, and we could be uncomfortable with it forever. But we need to learn to be familiar with that discomfort, recognizing, for instance, I'm an, you know, I, I, I've swam many decades in open water. I am still scared or fearful of a little bit swimming alone, uh, dirty bottoms, things moving around the bottom. Mm -hmm. It just, it stirs up. So I've become familiar with it happening. I've become familiar with that discomfort. It doesn't mean I like it, but I've adapted to it. 
but I'm still uncomfortable. And there's that certain amount of familiarity becomes really, I, I think, necessary for athletes to to accept. Some athletes get very, very nervous before races, as, as an example. Well, that that could be normal. Get familiar with it. Okay, don't think it's a bad thing. Just become familiar with it. You know, that a, a few weeks ago, a, a, another coach that I'm uh, good friends with, I uh, have a great respect for him in, a, in, in another sport, running, uh, Steve Magnus. Oh, of course, yeah. And, and I, having a conversation with him about pain and how he talks to his athletes, because the, a lot of the events that he's coaching are very painful events because you're running the 800, the mile, you know, the 5K. These are... yes. There's a lot of agony in those those races, yes. and and I talk about how he ask him about how he talks to his athletes about that, and there is an essence of this familiarity there where he t- he he guides athletes to have a a I think he called it a calm conversation with yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, so but you have to of course train uh, to and in training have that conversation so that you can essentially manage it yes and so, so you know and it's, it's the disassociation of just because you get really fit and and in fact the faster athletes it doesn't make the pain go away it's it's that you become to your point familiar or or in steve's point you can have a conversation and say this is normal <laughs> and, yes. it, and it should be happening and I, I love the question do the pros hurt it's like they they actually hurt much more than you could ever imagine, and uh, and I would argue the fitter you get, the higher level you get, the more ability that you have to put yourself in discomfort. And you know, to your point, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go, go ahead, leap off, leap off. Well, to to your point, uh, I, I recall conversations that's happened over the years. Jerry, you don't know what it's like to be a middle of the pack athlete, where we get knocked around a lot in the middle middle of the pack. You're always at the front, and I and I, and I said. There may be less people, not maybe, there are less people at the front. It's the apex, okay, at the front of the pack. But think about it. If you have 30 cars around you going at 30 miles an hour and you get into a little car crash, not a little, get into a car accident, what do you think that accident is like relative to the cars, maybe less of them, only four or five or 10 of them, but going 70 miles an hour? You think your outcome is less or greater or the same? Well, it could be all of the above, depending on the accident. But the point is, at the front of the pack, the, 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 the hit level, when you get hit, it's a hard hit. It's a much harder hit at the front of the pack. you got to be ready for a lot of pain. Real-life example. Do you, do you remember a wonderful athlete? Do you remember uh, Joanna Zeiger? Oh, of course. I think, I think Joanna was fourth at the Olympic Games, if I remember right, the first Olympic Games. I in might 2000. Be in, in 2000, yeah. But um, she, she became a wonderful athlete. I... I knew, uh, and she became a great Ironman athlete, if you remember her. She's um, yep, a great yes. person, but uh, she was a very good swimmer, front pack swimmer, and back yes. in the days, in fact, this story is the most press coverage I ever got as a professional triathlete, which <laughs> which is, <laughs> shows how sad this is, But uh, or my career was. But uh, it, it was back in the days that the, the male pros would start at the same time as the female pros that would start just... And we would start just 10 meters ahead of the whole age group field. And uh, so, so theoretically, an age group swimmer could swim up into our group. And um, Ironman Brazil, uh, you talk about collisions at speed. Uh, Joanna in the swim, uh, uh, unfortunately, it had something to do with my heel. Uh, managed to break her nose in the swim. Oh, wow. And uh, 
yeah, sitting sitting behind me, which is always a, a dangerous thing to do, and uh, broken nose. But you know what? I I did not have a great race, Joe, and I went on to uh, to win the race overall. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. Well, she's race. a tremendous athlete. In fact, I coached her sister. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Laurie, yeah, that's right, Laurie. But, yeah, so it, it's it's all yes to your point, absolutely. So so last thing. Uh, so f- firstly. Thank you, Jerry, for that. It's uh, that was what I would call a coach's conversation, which I was, uh, which I was really hoping to to have with you. And uh, and hey, we we enjoyed it. I'm not sure if uh, the listeners will, but we enjoyed it. <laughs> well, you and I could go off on tangents forever at times, but thank thank you for allowing the opportunity. Well, there, there is one one more piece that we have to do. We call it Desert Island. You are you are exiled to a desert island. Getting to the more human side of you, what would you bring? And there are there are four very quick questions. I have given you these in advance, so I just don't I don't want listeners to think that you are highly responsive and a quick thinker here. So you know what's coming here. But but the first, what piece of music or album would you bring to the island? You know, this is when I saw your question. It was interesting because I'm not a big music buff, and um, and I have to think about it. But then I realized somehow the word desert island sent a message of a little bit of uh perhaps peril or doom maybe (laughs) you sort of you know and uh i I thought for a moment well i may as well start experiencing or or, uh, relating to really good experiences so my selection was music that i heard when i was a teenager and maybe into college that created that had good feelings made good experiences so for me that was music of the 70s late 60s 70s early 80s type thing so that would be the first thing uh to to you know have that good feeling and then of course uh my second thing was something something new to explore uh something that i don't really have any experience in like for instance um classical music because it has a lot of emotion to it so that would be my sort of two simplistic answers. No, it's great. Um, and, and in parallel to that, which book would you bring? You know, I, I'm a guy who enjoys uh, biographies and those types of things. And I just have not made enough time to read those things. So I'm fascinated with, um, you know, how our mentors of thousands of years ago what their vision for the world was. So for me, it would be probably uh, biographies of, of Greek philosophers. Super. And you could have one other thing outside of me. What would you bring? Well, you know, it's interesting. I saw, I saw that question. I said, you know, I, I, I got to bring you, but I have to bring <laughs> Kelly and Baxter. And, and, and the reason for that is, God, somebody's got to teach that kid because you can't do it. And then somebody's got to help your poor wife because she has to deal with you all day long. So I'll bring those two <laughs> There you go. That's a great God, answer. they need some training. I mean, they're... being around Matt Dixon all day, oh, that could be a challenge. <laughs> cool. I didn't know what she was getting in for, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and you're leaving, you're, you're heading to exile. What's the one last piece of advice that you could give the world? Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it's um, it, it's sort of the, how do you view the world? I looked at that question as, you know, how does one view the world type thing? And for me, it's always about, you know, you got to find a way to always find the beauty in, in, uh, in what you're doing or where you're going. And uh, I'm always finding ways to give back. I mean, you know, in, in your case, coaches come, 
and spend time with you, you're giving back your knowledge to them. So it's always, it's about giving. We are fortunate where we live and the career that we have uh, in where we enjoy ourselves and um, we, we receive a lot. I think the message of giving is, um, is important. That's great. And uh, well, I tell you, Captain, you have given me a lot as a, as a, as a, as a coach, as a mentor and, uh, I'm and sitting here. Don't, don't. It's not a one-way street. I have tremendous respect for you, Matt, and learned uh, learned a lot to, over the years. So it's it's very mutual. Well, it's great, great fun, and uh, we're going to get to go and spend some time at the uh, Hawaii Ironman World Championship. So I'm I'm looking forward to that time. I I really appreciate it, you joining us, Jerry. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, guys, that was Jerry Rodriguez. If you want to hear more, Tower26.com fantastic podcast on open water swimming and the sport of triathlon head there he's got a great subscription program for triathletes and open water swimmers that's easy to integrate into any triathlon program at large and i encourage you just to follow along if you are in kona you're going to get to hang out with jerry and i we're going to have a pre-race meeting and talk about the swim i know that he's planning with his co-host jim Lubinsky a uh, a discussion on the course and i think a live podcast and q a there for all you folks listening at home that can't go to the Big Island this year. But I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly enjoyed the conversation with Jerry. I hope it's fruitful and you could glean some information for your performance journey. Next week, back to it, back to regular. We're going to dissect and we're going to go on with another subject. Take care, guys.